0: Welcome to the Retirement Plan Playbook with Brent Pasqua, Matthew Thiel, and Joshua Wintersweik from RPA Wealth Management. In this podcast, we cover current events, retirement planning strategies, and provide you with the tools to help you build a successful retirement playbook in any political or financial landscape. Join Brent, Matthew, and Joshua as they navigate the issues that can make the later stages of your retirement plan challenging and help you create the best retirement plan playbook. Now, let's get to the show.
1: I feel like it's been a while since we recorded. Yeah, it's been quite some time. Is there a reason why we haven't recorded for a while?
2: I've been out of the pocket for a while. I had a kid.
1: You had a kid, huh? Another one? Yeah, number
2: two. My son was born on April 14th, which also happens to be, I believe, your son's birthday, correct, Brent?
1: That is correct. Kind of wild how that happened, huh? Yeah, I mean, that's pretty rare that that would happen on that same day because that wasn't even his due date, correct?
2: No. Well, I was thinking about it and now, in hindsight, it was really close. It was April 13th. Got it. So he was a day over his due date, but he actually didn't come on time, so we had to do an induction. But, you know, that is what it is.
3: Congratulations, Matt. Thank
2: you. Yeah, we're very excited. He's healthy. My wife's doing good. It's very, very good labor, no complications. And, you know, we're all just adjusting family of four now. So we knew we knew it was going to be a boy, but you didn't share the name. So it was exciting to
3: find out his name that
2: day. Yeah, so his name's Nolan Carter. Let me just tell you guys a brief story, because you probably wouldn't know this, but we decided to switch his name driving to the hospital. Wow. Ooh. Yeah, we just weren't feeling like the original name that we had picked out. I'll never say what the original name was. Really? But you won't tell us? No, I guess. no, no. But... <laughs> Definitely not in podcast format, but yeah, we switched his name on the way to the hospital, or we decided like, hey, we're going to go
1: with this with this name instead. Now, did you did you have an agreement you and your wife that you would never release what the other name was? Because I'm now wanting to pry and find out what that name was.
3: Can you just tell me? Was it Joshua? No, it was oh, not okay. Joshua.
2: <laughs> no, I mean, you know, maybe one night, you know, years from now, but you know, not now. But, okay. So yeah, it was cool. It, it was fun. I know people kind of have those stories. Some people are like, oh, you know, we wait until we see the baby. And then we decide on name A versus B, but we just drive in the hospital. We're like, hey, let's just switch. Let's go with this name instead.
1: Ooh. And how long were you sold on the, the other name or were you really feeling the other name? We
3: were never really feeling the other Got name. Got it. I had asked you like a, even like a month before she was due and you were kind of like, ah, we don't know for sure. So, yeah.
2: So. Are you sleeping much? I am, but, you know, he doesn't really want much to do with me. That's, like, the common myth as, like, a man, right? Like, you know, unless unless you're doing, like, formula or anything, like, the, the kid wants the, the
1: female. Yeah, are, you are looking a little more tired, though, since you've had the kid. Do you, do you agree, Josh?
2: Yes. You just never know what you're walking into when you get home. <laughs> no, you don't. Not with a newborn in <laughs> a two-year-old. A two-and-a-half-year-old, yeah. You just don't know what's going to happen. I'm glad you're doing
3: this because I'm going to get, like, a lot of, like, insight to the two-child That's going on at your house right now? Because right now, with having one, I'm like, all right, it's like going pretty good. But I was like, when I kind of imagine having two, I'm like, wow, how is this going to work? How do I figure this
2: out? Well, Bren's like eight years ahead of us. So. he knows everything. He's, he's getting
1: into like the easier phase now. Your kids well, probably take care of themselves. I'm seven years ahead. I remember all how much you guys gave me a hard time when I had two and I was looking like a ball of stress and exhaustion.
3: <laughs> I never gave you a hard time. Yeah. What? But,
1: but <laughs> now you're going through it and you see, you know, it is not an easy stage of life, but you know, it does get easier and it, it is the most joyful stage of life. So. I
2: agree. It's so rewarding. It's very rewarding. It's fun. You'll, and it goes so fast. Like a uh, month's already passed, you know, with, with ours. So, congrats, anyways, Matt. All right, let's start the stretch. So, let's
1: welcome, welcome to the retirement plan playbook. I'm Brent Pasqua. I'm the founder of RPA Wealth Management. I'm here with Matthew Thiel, who's a certified financial planner and an advisor at the firm, and then also Joshua Winterspike, who's a finan- certified financial planner and also an advisor at the firm. And today we have some headlines I think that are really important to what's actually going on right now in the news, and that's the debt ceiling. I think it's. Kind of hard for most to understand exactly what's sort of taking place because even on if you watch CNBC, the explanations of kind of what's taking place right now is not even clear. I think there's a lot of ambiguity in the situation, but I know it is a risky situation to the stability of our country. So maybe touch on a little bit about what's actually happening here.
2: Yeah, so I think it's really important before we even start talking about that is just a date today's podcast that we're recording on May 23rd. So, you know, this show will probably come out in four to five days from now. There's a chance things have changed with the debt ceiling. But essentially, let's just kind of summarize what's been going on. January of this year, the U.S. hit the, the debt ceiling limit. And what is a debt ceiling limit? It's just arbitrary. It's a number that is made up and then it's agreed to upon. And they say the debt can't reach this level. You know, technically it can. It can't get over. And, you know, Josh, I think you had a really interesting number before the show. How many times have they actually raised the debt ceiling limit?
3: Over 80. It was a lot higher than I thought.
2: Wow. So it sounds like something that probably should just begin, right? Like they should just get rid of, right? Like, why is it even here?
1: Right, because it, it's really meaningless. It's just an arbitrage number, like you said.
2: It, and it's just like, so both sides, Republicans and Democrats, get to do their fake little posture for the people who vote Republican or the people who vote Democrat and act like they're going to make a difference and cut spending, but we all know they're really not.
3: And the current debt ceiling is $31.4 trillion. I wanted to say that number.
1: Wow. Because I think what what the real concern is, is if they don't raise the debt ceiling, then they basically are in default, right? And then they have to then prioritize how they pay back all the debts. And then you basically have a whole country that's in, in debt, but we're already in debt. And you have to like start paying people back, but you can't pay people back. So the- I think
2: the The weird thing so I was reading about this is that there's like a technical default and there's like a true default or and and so like on the technical default, I think what would end up happening is they would pay all short term expenses but like nothing long term until they raise the debt limit, then they would just be able to pay all the long term stuff. It's like really weird and really strange, and you know I remember going through this in two thousand eleven I know they've raised it pretty pretty significantly. I'm not sure how many times, but I feel like we, they do this every few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, guys. I tell you, I'm just getting sick of this stuff. It's really just a, like a political tool. Yeah, that's all it is. I, I mean, both sides
3: use the debt ceiling as a negotiation tool
1: for whatever they want to accomplish. I guess the question I ultimately have, though, is that at a period of time when interest rates are so high and people are putting more money in U.S. Treasury bonds, isn't it somewhat... I mean, there certainly seems to be a conflict right now. There's money pouring into treasury bonds. However, you know, those can potentially be in default.
2: Yeah, I mean, technically they could. But again, it's probably why it's not going to happen. And if it does, it just might be like a temporary one or two day things. And Everyone's going to get paid, right? It's the U.S. government. The money's there. It's just, you know, really politics getting in the way again from yes.
1: pro- progress in this country. Yeah, I I think it's not something that I have any sleepless nights over. I'm very concerned about. It. I think it's just a talking point on CNBC and you know the CEOs are talking about it and they basically say go get the job done guys. Like let's move on from this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Are we going to move on from this? Yep. Okay. I'm already over the debt ceiling. I was over it before we even started. <laughs> Me
2: too. I, no, I don't I, I don't really like talking about it. I'll just say, you know, one thing. If it does get down to the wire, you know, expect Financial market volatility.
3: And they, and they both parties both want the debt ceiling to be raised. Yes. It's just about who. what else do they get right. by voting for the debt ceiling to be raised. So to understand that, they both do. Right. All right, let's move on. Tell us a little bit
2: about the Apple savings account. Yes, this is a, a pretty cool one. Apple launched a savings account. And correct me if I'm wrong, but this is in partnership with Marcus, right, Josh, by Goldman Sachs. That's correct. And the, the rate's 4.15%. That's correct. How does it work? Like, can anybody do it who gets an Apple card? Or, like, is it through your phone? Or do you go to, like, an Apple bank? I think there's a lot of confusion. And I saw some even posts on social media people being like, hey, like, I don't trust this. I don't trust Apple with my money. I don't know if trust. I mean, Apple's pretty good at
3: managing cash. They have a ton of it, and they manage it pretty appropriately. I do believe, though, you have to have their card. So, their credit card. Yeah, you have to have their card to have access to the savings account. It's managed by a financial, inst- partnered with the financial institution Marcus by Goldman Sachs. So, it's backed by them and they're helping implement these savings accounts. And then you can also, you know, access this money, transfer it, and do all of those normal things from like a normal high-yield savings account from your Apple account. My first take about this, though, is that like this product is making it easier to have access to like high quality financial instruments. Like, you know, I think what almost 50% of Americans have iPhones now. So like if you do have an Apple card and now you have access to this high yield savings, it makes it very convenient, very easy. You can get higher interest. So my first take is, is like this is pretty cool and and, and really convenience to a lot of Americans to get away from traditional banks that don't aren't giving out a lot of yield for their cash deposits and use something that's very simple and higher earning.
2: If the account was yielding, you know, 1% or less, would it still be cool? No, no, it wouldn't be cool. Well, I, again, access, easy access convenience. Cause it's essentially just a Marcus savings account with the Apple logo on it. Right. Cause Marcus is the bank behind it. Apple's not an actual, the actual bank. Apple's not a bank. And And it pays the same rate as Marcus, and Marcus is who helps them with the credit card. Correct? Yes. Yeah.
3: So,
1: do you guys have an Apple credit card? No, I don't. No, I don't. But and do you even know the numbers around how many people have it? Because I can't imagine too many Boomers of that generation of the Boomer generation are actually signing up for Apple credit cards, right?
2: No, I think it's probably like a Gen Z Millennial
1: thing. So I guess you know if. I wonder how much money is actually pouring into these Apple savings accounts. I mean, I could see there's a, a market for it. I get that. I know that originally they did have a really big inflow to
3: start. I don't know now though how it like it. You know, maybe the hype and the lore kind of faded, but originally they did acquire a lot of deposit.
2: So I just looked it up, and as of as of 2022, there's an estimated 6.7 million Apple card holders in the
1: U.S. Yeah, so that's that's still a good number. Yeah, I mean that's a lot of people still using a credit card, but I mean, I, I could see it getting bigger as time goes by. Yeah,
2: no, I agree. And, and you know, I don't want to say like this younger generation isn't very good at investing, but you know, they kind of proved by top taking the market and getting all into crypto. I don't want to mention names, but <laughs> it, <laughs> NFTs and stuff that, you know, they weren't great at investing and you know, this is probably pretty good for their savings for 4.15%. It's a good interest rate for this economy. And it's probably better than putting your money in Bitcoin or Ethereum at this point.
1: Well, and I think what makes some sometimes finances better is just the simplicity of it. And if you have your credit card in one place, you have your savings account in one place, you're buying your Apple products that you may be financing through the same or something similar, Like you can, you can imagine that it makes just everything a little bit easier because everything's kind of consolidated.
3: Yeah, and, and how many banks take advantage of like, The consumer and their deposit accounts. You know, like, let's just talk about Citibank, Wells Fargo, Chase, Bank of America, and they're yielding less than 1%, and, you know, you keep your money there, not earning anything, and Apple's going to very easily implement this for you without any changes, like you said, and now I'm getting four times the interest I was getting at these big banks that have been taking, you know, advantage of me for so long by not giving me any sort of yield. So I like it.
2: So I just did a quick search, and I guess Forbes was reporting that During the first week, Apple took in a billion dollars in deposits on their savings account. And it came out to about an average balance of $4,000. Yeah, that makes sense. a lot of money, but very small accounts.
1: Yep, that would make sense with my thoughts on it. You know, I guess where I would also have some trust in just what Apple is doing is based on how Apple Pay works. I mean, how many times have you forgot your wallet somewhere? I've heard, you know, say, oh, did you bring your wallet? oh, I got Apple Pay and the store accepts Apple Pay and you don't need, even need your wallet at that point.
3: No, you don't. And you could even use your watch to do that. I think also their cash product, like Zelle and, and Venmo, have you guys used that to I transfer money?
2: But I would like to get away from Venmo so I would be open to exploring it. The Apple Cash works really good,
1: really simple. I like it. Yeah, I mean, they're making things easier, which is pretty cool.
2: Mm-hmm. apple makes great products like let's not beat around the bush this is cool cool partnership great for young people they don't really see a ton of retirees taking advantage of this especially when there's you know marcus american express mm-hmm. ally josh we were looking at capital one the other day they have a you know pretty good savings account right now there's lots of options
1: i mean i don't need another credit card but i'm actually kind of this conversation is talking me into kind of wanting one
2: me too if i was probably to add
3: one just to like see how it goes because we talk about it and we read about it so much. It would be
2: good to just kind of experience their financial e- ecosystem. I heard the Apple credit card is cool, like spending reports and stuff you get with it on the phone. But, Brent, I think you're an Amex guy.
1: Do you have an Amex? No. I would imagine the ne- your next card's an Amex. I mean, I've been grandfathered into <laughs> my credit card, but I, I would be willing to see where technology is advancing in Apple and what they're doing, so i would probably be my next if I was going to try something, but I'm, I'm not really in the business of wanting to try anything else. right so now. So if
3: anyone's the test on me then
1: we got to give a update. Yeah. Yeah. Or people can let us know how they like it. All right. Let's get into the retirement planning corner. I mean, kind of really talking about a lot of the same things. Let's talk a little bit about cash investments and with interest rates, where they are, like, what are some of the good places to be looking if you have money sitting in savings or checking or You know, you have your emergency fund on where and how to be positioning that money. So I think before we kind of jump into
2: how to invest invest your money or where to park your cash, let's maybe tell the listeners why rates are high in the first place. Because I think that paints the whole story. So interest rates are high because inflation is high. So the Federal Reserve has been massively raising interest rates since 2022. If you're a new listener, we've talked about this on many shows over the past year. And where rates are right now puts what they call the cost of capital, which is kind of your trade-off rate in investing at 5%. So that means that you should probably be getting somewhere around 5% on your money or the investment you're making doesn't make sense. Let me give you an example of an investment everybody wants to make that does not make sense in today's economy. It's called a rental property. Very few rental properties with the price of of real estate make sense in this economy. Why? Because they're not making that 5% rate of return that you could get just by parking your money and cash in a T bell. So why is the Federal Reserve doing this? They're trying to suck money out of the economy and get people
1: to stop spending so inflation goes down. That's why rates are higher. And so I guess then the, the next question is is since rates are higher, do you think most people are taking advantage of higher rates or did people need to learn how and where to get the higher rates at? So just for meeting, like with our
2: clients and Josh, you jump in and tell me if I'm wrong, but I think everyone is just so used to low interest rate environment. Like nobody's like thinking like, hey, there's been like a, a tremendous sea change, right? Because we went through the 2010s and interest rates were zero. Inflation was under 2%. Now inflation is running at, you know, 5% year
1: over year and interest rates are 5% the people just aren't used to it. I have a lot of cl- conversations with clients where and I had a discussion when actually with somebody yesterday that was talking about how they just have money parked in a brick and mortar bank savings account that's not earning any interest. And what sort of throws me off sometimes of just trying to understand where people are at with that is that these savings accounts are regularly available at you know any inst- a lot of institutions where you can get a much higher interest rate a lot of them are institutions they may even have a credit card with right that they can be getting these higher savings accounts but they've just s- continued to stick it for the last 8 9 months to 12 months they've spent in those same savings accounts not earning anything
3: and i'm sure they're even receiving marketing from their other institutions that they work in. Like here's a a bonus to move in even for a short-term CD or a new savings account. And talking about brick and mortar, it doesn't have to be an online savings. I know we talk about online savings accounts, but if you walk down, you know, even here in Claremont down the street, there's also some credit unions that have a 4% interest rate, AAA, that you don't have to necessarily, if you don't like online savings or don't have the tools to implement that, shop around
2: a little bit. It's worth it, especially if you have a good amount of cash just sitting there. Yeah, so I think Capital One, I don't know if they have any offices in California, but I believe they do have some brick and mortar locations in there at 3.75%, which is pretty good. And Capital One is a you know top 10 financial institution in the world, in the US. It's a big company. And it was announced a week and a half ago that Warren Buffett's been you know buying billions of dollars of their stock because it's gone down so much with this banking crisis. So, I mean, you could park your money there if you want to. And you almost, you know, have to, right? I mean, with interest rates like you just explained,
3: them going up and the Fed continuing to raise them over the last, you know, 15 months, that you're not keeping up with inflation. Inflation's been here. It's sticking around. So if you're not earning interest on that cash, you are effectively losing money. So you have motivation to go out and find better cash management products.
1: If I think about the conversations that I've had with people, I think there's probably a couple of reasons why they probably don't want to move it. Maybe it's trust, right? They want to be able to be able to walk into the bank and access their money, touch their money, take it out right then and there. And then there's also sort of the accessibility of how you get it liquid. If it is somewhere else, if it is on an online bank, if it, if it isn't at that brick and mortar bank, I don't think that at this point that there's any reason why somebody shouldn't have an online savings account or a different type of savings account where that would be a concern that they can't get that money quickly. Because I, I think back in the day, you know, if you had one money at one bank and another money at the other bank, you would have to write yourself a check or you would have to do some form of transferring that wasn't online or it was a lot more complicated. But now these banks are all intertwined where you can transfer directly next day so there isn't that lag. From your phone. From your phone. <laughs> you could be at lunch transferring money.
2: Yeah, you could technically, if you think about it at 9 p.m., you could do it at 9 p.m. and then your transaction will process the next morning. You don't have to wait to talk to a teller or anything. And most banks don't keep enough cash for you to be able to walk into the bank
3: and pull out all of your cash anyway. Like, it's not like a, a, you know, if you're looking for that physical, like, I need to go down there and pull out my $50,000 in my savings account. Like, if you walked
1: into Chase Bank next to her, they're probably going to be like, you have to order it.
3: You know, and it's going to take three
1: days. (laughs) And I think this goes back to one of the ways and we can get on what the options are, but I think this just goes back to some of the academic problems that society faces where we're just not educating our youth on how to actually put these tools in place for themselves or even spend time with your money, spend time on it because yeah, your money's in a savings account, but if you had it in this other savings account, you're earning free interest, you're earning free money on sure. it. It takes it's worth the steps that it takes to spend an hour on it. Because chances are, if you put those good fundamentals in place, you're going to stick with them and keep them that way. Absolutely.
2: Great point. I think the flip side, though, too, it's important for people to understand is borrowing costs. So borrowing costs have risen a lot as well. So we now have mortgage rates past 6.5%. And so this creates an interesting dynamic. I was working with a client the other day, and we were talking about paying off their mortgage and they ended up taking out a mortgage just recently. So they have a higher rate. I think they're at like five and 575 or almost like approaching six. And we were running the numbers and it, you know, made sense for this client to pay extra payment towards the mortgage. Absolutely. Because like we just can't get that rate anywhere. Like if we stick the cash they have in their account in bonds, well, we're going to be losing money on interest. Yeah, net. Yeah, you can think of it like when you're putting money,
3: your money, towards the principal, right? And it's at 5.5%. That's the interest rate that you're receiving on the money because you're no longer paying 5% on that cash.
2: Exactly. But, you know, if I was talking with this client in 2014, 2015, 2016, and they had like a 3% mortgage, and they had a bunch of cash, like, should I pay it down? I'd be like, I don't know. We probably would make more investing in it. Yeah. Invest in the stock market. But now, you know approaching 6%, you really can't look a client in the eye and tell them they're going to get much more than that. The landscape changed pretty quickly though. Like like the Fed raised interest rates really quickly. So, you
3: know, now we're, I know we've been talking about it on this podcast for, you know, over a year, but some people haven't even felt those effects. If you haven't went out and bought like a car or, or looked for any financing, if you haven't bought a new mortgage and you're locked in at 3%, you might not see that change. If you're not
2: actively in the market for financing, how quickly interest rates have risen yet. Yeah, you know, you're mad about your trader Joe's bill. Wait till you go lease a car from or buy a car from Toyota or Kia. We talked about this. <laughs> you're gonna see that rate going. No down. more because wow. everyone has the like the
3: mindset, like Toyota is just always giving out zero percent interest loans. Like that's gone. That's no more.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so with interest rates being higher right now, if somebody comes to you, if you're sitting with a client and they have money sitting in the savings account, but they want to keep that money liquid, like what are the main few options that they have or are you recommending?
2: They have a a couple different options. I'll just run through a a couple of them. Obviously, high-yield savings, we've talked enough about that. But there's also CDs, right? CDs will get sold by banks, financial institutions. They could buy something like that. reason I don't like CDs personally is I don't like how there's a time commitment on it, right? So it's usually like, oh, we'll give you 5.05%, lock your money up for 12 months. It's like, well, what if I need my money in seven months? And then there's most likely a penalty. You have to go through the whole process, it's really not for me, but that
1: is something that a lot of people like, and I could understand why. It's they want the higher rate, and they don't feel like they're going to use the money. Exactly. But it, if if those are the same people that are concerned about their money being liquid or in a savings account at a brick-and-mortar bank, I don't think that, that that's the right type of... A CD is probably not right for them.
3: No. No, because yeah, now now you're not going to want to even take the money out because
1: you are going to pay
3: a interest penalty for going out and withdrawing. in like Matt said, there's a process to that too. So you're losing that flexibility and that liquidity and that might not be for you. But I will say like CDs, like right now that rates are higher, really, really bad a year ago, right? When rates were low, like no one should ever have bought a CD. But now, I mean, they do have some pretty attractive rates if you didn't need the money at your bank and you're sure of that. I, you know, I'm not totally against them, you know, cause you can't get a little bit higher than a money market.
2: Marcus right now has a no penalty CD and we're not affiliated with Marcus. We just really like their products for the listeners to know. And they're at 4.25, which is just, you know, 10 basis points higher than their savings account.
1: Yeah. So at that point, unless it's a substantial amount of money, you're just putting the money in the liquid savings account. Yes, exactly.
2: Yeah. Same thing.
1: But I mean, they also do have, and I've seen it across the banks. They have these promo CDs where you get a, a, you know, over 5% CD right now. But you got to lock your money up. You know, you probably lose ninety days interest if you break the CD. So there are some penalties if you do break it early. But I think if you're kind of tearing these together, it's liquid money is an online savings account. If you have some money that's a little bit more earmarked for you know next nine to twelve months, you could consider a CD for a slightly higher amount. In my opinion, though, no, the rate isn't that much higher. It's more dollars, a few more dollars you may be making, but it's not probably worth the illiquidity that it provides.
3: Yeah, there's there's you know opportunity costs you're sacrificing that liquidity for something that's maybe not life changing or going to make that big of a difference.
2: Yeah. I agree. What about T bills, Brent? Like how, how can people use those or treasury
1: bills? So I don't know that the average person would probably want to be starting to buy on their own treasury bills. I I I don't, I mean, it's more of a complicated trade. You got to go in there. You got to find what T bill you're wanting to buy. You got to find the terms. You got to plug in them out. You got to execute the trade. You got to make sure trades right. So I don't know that that's for everybody. Now there's a lot of people out there who do place regular trades and they would say that's perfectly easy for them because they know how to do it. But I don't think the average person is gonna go online to their brokerage account and start placing trades.
3: No, re- retail platforms aren't like user friendly when it comes to buying T bills. Like they you are. ever looked at like a retail like brokerage account platform? Like it's not easy to go in there and find a T bill. Like for us, like no problem, right? But for a retail client, I agree. Like you you make a wrong
2: mistake and now, you know,
3: it's not worth it anymore that you even bought the T-bill.
2: So T-bills are just bond, short-term bonds issued by the U.S. government. The reason why we're talking about why we like them, right, is because they pay the best interest rate. You're going directly to the government. The best interest rate for the amount of safety, I should say. You could get higher rates, but you're, it's going to be very risky. As far as trading them, funny story about my dad. So he's been managing his own account for years. He's a you know, classic to-it-yourself investor. He actually taught me how to invest, and he... It took him, I think, over a month of researching it, talking with me, sending me printouts on his T-bills to actually be able to figure out how to actually buy a T-bill from his broker, TD Ameritrade. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So it does, it's very complex to go back to what you guys were saying. And I think it's probably too complex for the average person. But yeah, through an advisor, very easy to do. And you know, if you're listening to this and you don't have an advisor or your advisor is not doing this for you right now, you know, ask them why and get in the T-bill game.
1: But it's also, though, you ha- you have to stay on top of it, right? It's time consuming because you're going to have to know when your T-bill expires. When the T-bill expires, you're probably, they're going to want to place another trade and buy another one, or you're going to want to move that money somewhere else where it's earning higher interest, right? Because when your T-bill expires, it's going to go to probably the brokerage accounts, money market account, and that account's not going to earn very much interest. So how many days does it take you from the time that the the T-bill matures to the time you actually get that money back invested? Is it worth the difference of just having that into an online savings account where you've been earning the interest throughout that whole time? You know, I think that there's some question marks there because most people aren't going to necessarily have it on their calendar. Hey, my T-bill matures on this day.
3: What I hear you say is it's a chore that also has to have a philosophy because what are you going to do next? Like We haven't even gotten into the discussion about like, where do interest rates go next? Like, I know they've been rising over the last, you know, over a year, but what happens if they fall? Like, what's your next move? And if you don't have a strategy around that, again, there could be some negative consequences to that strategy.
2: Yeah, and then the final note on, on T-bills, because one pushback I get from clients is where I was like, oh, it's going to be taxable. Like, I don't want to pay tax on it. I'm like, well, okay, that just
1: means you made money if you're paying
2: taxes. But number two is the tax is exempt from state correct uh, income tax. So that's nice.
1: Yes. And it's a very good reason to be working with an advisor who's going to stay on top of the trades, who's going to keep that money invested, where you're going to have a potentially much higher, potentially much higher net rate of return because it's actually being done correctly and it's getting reinvested. Right. Why, why would you purchase T-bills over bonds right
3: now?
2: Because the yield curve is inverted. So it's just a definitional thing, right? Because bonds are going to be longer term and they pay less of a rate. T-bills are shorter term. They paid higher rates. So it, borrowing costs are higher the shorter your duration is right now because the Fed's raised rates so much.
1: And how long will that last forward? Is there an unknown to that? That's
2: unknown. Typically, the economy breaks when it's like this. But so far, the economy hasn't broke. So I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. Because it's been like this for a while. Yeah, over a year. Yeah,
3: yeah. We we think that rates potentially still... Could go higher?
2: Yeah, I think so. I the think public the public does. The one, markets do. One thing that nobody's actually talking about right now is what if the long end of the of the yield curve, so bonds dated further out, you know, five years out, starts to rise and you know, more more or less normalizes and we're in a new normal. Now, could that hurt the banks?
1: Potentially, but I think the environment
3: right now the banks already kinda hurt. Yeah.
1: You know, going back to one last thing with the T-bills, too, I think this is something maybe that Apple needs to take on.
3: Mm. (laughs) (laughs) There's a a market here for them. Yeah,
1: facilitating trades
2: with T-bills. One of the startups did it. I think it's like public or I saw them advertising it that they'll, you know, buy and sell T-bills on your behalf. It's like a T-bill account, they call it. There's a a podcast, I think, that they plug their platform to buy and sell T-bills. Well, hold on. So, Josh, let's talk about, I know you've done research on money market mutual funds. I, I think that's an important one for listeners to learn about.
3: Yeah. So money market mutual funds, you know, banks use money market funds as a like cash deposit accounts, but there are actually mutual funds and now even exchange traded funds that you can purchase and they're called money market funds. So it's a basically a cash management strategy for that particular fund. And these funds can Buy everything from treasury bills to treasury bills repurchased, also you know longer dated bonds and incorporate them into some sort of cash management. So instead of buying treasury bills and bonds on your own, you can buy a fund that's essentially doing it for you. These have become a lot more popular. The flows into these funds is pretty amazing like so many investors are flooding to these money market funds because they've yielded nothing for so long i think it was like
2: 160 billion or something like that Yeah, it's insane so
3: you know that's why you're seeing it in the news is because people are buying these funds to basically have another cash management tool and receive higher interest buyer beware though some of these instruments you know can not just hold treasury bills they can hold a lot of different instruments in them providing some sort of either liquidity risk fees so again do your due diligence when you're looking into these money market funds that are being advertised and sold and that are in the news. But there are some out there that are only buying treasury bills that are a really good financial instrument to hold cash, especially even if it's in an IRA or retirement account or even in a brokerage account.
2: So since 2008, up until you know this year, maybe even early last year, nobody wanted money market mutual funds because in 2008, the reserve primary fund broke the buck, right? It traded mm-hmm. below its net asset value because of the Lehman Brothers disaster. And so they were like considered toxic assets to our industry. Like <laughs> if you saw like an advisor like recommending a money market fund, you'd like, oh, that advisor doesn't know what they're doing, right? Like these money market funds, it's too dangerous. Just keep your money in cash. Yeah. So it's just crazy to see it come full circle. What is that? Like 14 years later, and finally like people are using money market Funds are gonna. It's good. It's good interest, right? It is. It's just, you know, it's unfortunately, though, not all
3: money market funds are, like, created equal. So you do have to do your research because, I mean, even if you look it up on Schwab's platform, like, there's 10 of them, right? How do I pick? So you do have to, you know,
1: do your your homework on these. Let me try to add to the explanation, too, about, like, where you would actually use these. So let's say that you had a portfolio that had T-bills in it. And you wanted to have some of that money as it matured or money in there that was going to be liquid where you can get access to in a short amount of time in another type of fund that you wanted earning a higher interest rate, you could buy like one of these funds that Josh is talking about where the money could be liquidated the next day and you're not waiting like a CD for two months or three months or nine months for the money to become liquid, but you're getting a higher interest rate in this money fund in your brokerage account while it's sitting in cash or it's being it's pretty much liquid, you know, but with a day's notice.
3: That's a really good explanation. Yeah. I'm glad you elaborated that on more. It's also a good place to park cash if like you've created cash for your monthly income, like for retirees. I know that's where we're using it a lot, too. So just another good strategy on yeah. use case.
2: Yeah. So that you could do a T-bill, right, and go direct, which is one option. Option two is a money market fund, which is you should probably buy one with T-bills because like you're saying, Josh, that's the safest. Your trade off, though, is you're going to pay at the fund company the expense ratio, which is why their rate's a little bit lower.
1: And I think that to help the listeners, I think one of the things that we've been talking about too is really two different things. And I only realize this now as we've been going through it. The first things that we were talking about were savings accounts and CDs. And a lot of that happens on the banking side. Yes. Right. So that's your everyday banking liquid money and CDs.
3: And not to cut you off, banks have money markets, right? Deposit right. accounts. Right. So yes. what we're talking about, I'll let you continue, but banks do have money This is why people get so accounts. confused.
2: Correct. It's confusing. Yes.
1: Now on the other side, what we've been talking about is the T bills and these money market funds. We're talking about more on the brokerage account side. So you have money at a, a custodian and your money's sitting there. and You're trying to figure out how to get the higher interest rate out of it with the same complications of liquidity, higher interest, not tying it up for too long. You're talking about T bills, which are more similar to CDs. And you're talking about a money market fund, which is more similar to the money market savings accounts that we've been talking about. So kind of just two different institutions. Now, they all can intertwine and they all have the different options, I think, if you dig deeper into the weeds. But we're talking about kind of separating those between banking and custodians. So, Brent,
2: let's just role play. Let's pretend I'm 57. All right. I already got my 401k. I'm still working and got, you know, a million and a half in the 401, but I got 250 in the bank. And I'm listening to this podcast. I'm like, these guys are making a lot of sense, but it sounds confusing. So I come and I hire you. I don't want to take risk on my money. How you sent me
1: up 250. Well, I mean it's it's too broad of a situation to be able to give like a very specific recommendation, but if you're saying hey, I need this money liquid and I want a higher interest rate on it, then we're breaking down what the different options are between hey, are you going to use an online savings account and here's what the online savings account is paying versus are we going to put it in a brokerage account and buy T bills and a money market fund? We know from the T bill side we're going to exempt state taxes. What state do you live in? So you're going to calculate out what their net rate of return is going to be, and then you're probably comparing them to the two benefits pros of one side and cons and pros on the other side. You're just cross comparing them and then giving, you know, letting the client decide.
3: But I think what we're doing is, is providing framework, right? Because there's also other deposit, you know, options. There's... Products offered by insurance companies, we can go down that road. So I think that this is some like good framing of this is what you should be kind of looking for to start your research or reach out, obviously, to an
2: advisor to help you. But this is going to give you a good idea of where to start. So there's lots of new options. The options are confusing. You need to figure out what's best for you before you even pick one of the three or four
1: options we've talked about today. Yes. And I think it's you know helpful to work with an advisor that can help navigate these because we've been working on these things with our clients since they engage engaged with us. I mean, s- savings account strategies is like the first place we start. You are sitting on money. How do we get it invested, earning some interest? Where is the safest place to do it? Here is the options. Here is the different ways to do it.
3: And we're talking about cash management, not even for your savings, but like in your brokerage account and your retirement account. What is that cash management strategy? Because you know, cash is something we can earn a little bit more interest on, and it's all going to help you long term. So,
1: and when I say custodians, I am talking about TD or what was TD Charles Schwab. Financial institution. Somebody once asked me, they thought when I kept saying custodian, I was talking about the person that cleans. <laughs> so, but I want to be, be clear on what custodian actually means because all your money's being this. held. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. You, we, to go back to your story,
3: though, like I remember studying like finance in college, right? And like we, we talked about money markets. I just wanted to touch on that real quick, too, because it was like, man, I want to be. Talking and explaining and purchasing money market funds like crazy, right? Like once I get into the real world and then once we got into like finance into the real world and started working, like nobody used them like you were explaining. So it's just really cool now to be like, oh, we studied these. We didn't use them for a very long time. And then
2: now we're finally using them. So Nobody used a money market fund (laughs) for like 12
1: years. Like literally I hadn't heard the word mentioned until (laughs) last year. It's sad for people who had put all their 401k over the last five years into a money market fund in their 401k because that money didn't earn anything. They earned zero. Yeah. And we've had a nice bull run, you know, for several years.
2: Absolutely. Do you guys have anything else to add on this topic or should we jump into the recommends? I,
1: I, again, I want to reiterate, I think it's most important on when trying to decide what to do with your cash or what to do with liquid money. If you don't have an advisor, it may be time to engage. If you don't want to engage with an advisor, spend some time looking into what type of online savings account, what your different options are, is it worth going with a custodian or a bank, and then make sure that you're sort of self-managing this and spending the time on it. It could be tedious. It does take a lot of time, but it also could be very beneficial because you make more money. Yep. And I think my final note would be we have not even said that with the dollar trade-off is because
2: a lot of people don't think in percents, but at 5%, you know, if you have 100,000 in the bank, you're... Costing yourself five thousand dollars a year in interest—that's a lot of money. Because you're not having to do anything for that five
1: thousand. Yeah, it was that five hundred a month almost. That is a lot
3: of money.
2: Yeah.
1: All right. Well, let's get into recommends something we haven't talked about in a little while. Yeah, I'm ready
2: to go. Can I go first? Hit it. Okay. So while I was on paternity leave, we took my daughter to the bookstore, and I didn't really know bookstores were still around. But so she's two and a half, and we went to. I think it's called Vromans in Pasadena. It's a pretty famous bookstore if you're familiar with the Pasadena area. But she had so much fun. We bought like, I think, 13 books for her. She was just going up and down the aisles picking books. And I know bookstores are dead for, you know, most adults. Or like they just order their chapter book on Amazon if they want it. Or they buy it on Kindle and read it that way. But, you know, a kid's bookstore or a bookstore like for the kids section, that's where it's at. That was a lot
1: of fun. Oh, you walk into Barnes and Nobles near me, and there's it does not look like a bookstore is dead for adults because it's always crowded, and my kids love that place. But you've always said that
3: you've given me that recommendation, like for the future, like you know, you take your kids to the bookstore
1: and they absolutely love it. Yeah, if you told me, ask my kids, do you want to go to Target or the bookstore? They'll pick the bookstore all day long. (laughs)
2: Yeah, so we picked her out all these new books. We read them. She's already bored of them, so I feel like we need to go back and go buy more because we, you know, we read like five books a night before she goes to bed.
3: So now I know what to get Charlotte for her birthday. Books? Yeah. Oh, yeah, this is the best present. Well, no, 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 just even a gift card to be able to go to the bookstore and pick out her own books.
1: Yeah, she would love that. You, well, let me give you another helpful hint that's very fun is going to the library. Take her to the library. You don't have to purchase them. You 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 know, you rent them, and then you bring them back.
2: So Haley was thinking of doing that with her next week because she figured she'd really like it.
1: Kids love the library. Uh, that's a good idea. Yeah, my wife already took our little son to the library, and he loved it. Yeah, they get to pick books. They get more of the books in a week. You drop them off, and then you go get more books. That's cool. See, gosh, I always feel like library books are dirty. <laughs> they are, but they are. They are, but, I mean... That's well, kind of COVID, like the thing, over, though. Didn't dude?
3: you go to the library when you were a kid?
1: Yeah, but I didn't, like, read them because they're dirty. <laughs> <laughs> All right, enough about me. Let's move on. All right, what do you have for us?
3: All, I'm going on the parenting track, too. We got a, a water table. I didn't really know what those were uh, before I had kids. Um, but we got a water table for our son in the backyard. I'm really out of... I'm sure a lot of parents and grandparents know already what this is, but we just got it from Costco. you like fill it up with water has a bunch of toys, and our son went crazy for it, like he was soaking wet i mean there was not even any water running right It was just him splashing and playing around it, and he absolutely loved it. so I love seeing him light up, but just you know a good activity for outside now that it's somewhat getting a little warmer, and he loved it so that that's my recommends for any new dads out there for your, your or if they kids. have grandkids. Or if they have grandkids, yeah, it's a great activity just to go in the backyard and it's not, you know, besides the water, it's not messy like paint or sand or something like that. It was just them playing and he
2: had a great, great yeah, time. Yeah, we have one of those. Try it like yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Just make sure you drain the water at night.
3: Yeah. I saw, so after that, we got it in the, like Instagram's algorithm must have heard me talk about it or something. Yeah. Because then I got a video of like how to make sure your water table doesn't get moldy. Yeah. And like. Spray bleeding, vinegar, or yeah, Stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah.
1: So. Water tables are the best because kids, they'll spend hours playing in a water table. I was amazed. And he was
3: just like focused on this water table and just soaking wet heating care. It's
1: yeah. great. That is great. Kids like water and books. My recommend is something we probably need to do headlines on or even a whole show on. And that's the evolution of AI, artificial intelligence. I mean, This stuff is coming quickly. I know it's been in the works for a a long time, right? There's been three to five years that they've been really pushing hard at it. I mean, obviously, it's been an evolution, but now it's here and it's not going away. If you listen to most CEOs talk right now, it's all about AI and how it's changing productivity. If you want to start getting maybe a little bit better understanding of it, a simple place to start, I don't know if you guys would agree, would be ChatGPT. Yeah, And the reason why is because you could start to see what they're doing with making things easier.
2: It's so great. Yeah, so ChatGPT, it's like a chat app, right? But so last night we were watching this show called The White House Plumbers, and it's based in the 1970s on the Watergate scandal. And they were talking about something called the Bay of Pigs, and I didn't know what that was. So instead of pulling out Google and going through Google's, I pulled up my iPhone, opened my ChatGPT app. I said, what was the Bay of Pigs? Gave me three paragraphs on it. I asked a couple follow-up questions. It spit out those answers and I was completely caught up, knew what was going on on the show, press play on the show and I was good to go. It's amazing. And, and what it, Nice use case.
1: <laughs> yeah. And what it basically does is it's basically, you know, I've always told you, Matt, that you're very good at Google research, right? Like if you could learn how to research very quickly, but now sort of that ability is obsolete almost now, because now you have something that scrapes the internet and gives you exactly what you're looking for in a much shorter amount of time.
3: And I think, though, like if you're already like to research or it's part of your job or you're already kind of good at it, it's just going to make it even better. Like because right. it's pulling, like you said, data so quickly. It's scanning, you know, so many resources in the Internet for you. And I think another good resource and just to piggyback on your recommends, though, if you have a Google account, Google Bard is out there. You can Google that B-A-R-D. That's really easy because you, if you already have a Google account, you don't need to sign up for anything new. And they have a chat as well. So
2: the nice thing about Bard is it has access to real time information. So I to the way I found that data on Apple and the credit cards is I just asked Bard and it pulled up the Forbes article for yeah, me and told me what it was. So that's really cool.
1: Yeah, I think you know, like if you had an email or, or needed to create a response to something where you really didn't know what to say or how to say it. I mean, you plug that into ChatGPT, it's going to give you a response and it's probably going to write it a lot more professionally and a lot more articulate than probably any of us could write it.
2: And it corrects your work too. Like if you write an email, you can say, hey, just correct this for grammar and, you know, make me
1: sound less stupid. Yeah. It does that. It's great. Great tool. Uh, you, You know, I think, you know, if we talked long term together for a long period of time about how AI is going to change actually the world, you know, you're probably going to see a lot of jobs lost, but you're also probably going to see a lot of jobs gained. Because it is probably going to make people more productive and it's probably going to change the way that people work.
3: Yeah, it could be the, you know, the next thing that really changes industries and even potentially like our economy, right? So something I agree, something to be looking out for and researching if you haven't already.
2: We should probably maybe do a show on it coming up, I think. You know, our listeners would like like to learn more about it and how it impacts them.
3: Maybe I'll be the contrarian, though. I'm not embracing AI on that show just for fun.
1: No, Josh, you have been
2: embracing (laughs) AI.
1: You have, and it's helped us tremendously already. So I I think people want to learn about it. They just don't know enough about it yet.
3: Yeah, I agree.
1: All right. So I want to thank you, as always, for listening to the show. If you have any questions, you could always reach out to us directly at rpawealth.com. Or you could also reach our show notes at retirementplanplaybook.com. But we always enjoy doing these shows, so thank you for listening.
2: Thank you. Thank
1: you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Retirement Plan Playbook. Click the following button to be notified when new episodes become available. To get in touch with our team, call us at 909-296-7977. Or visit our website at www.rpawealth.com to schedule a complimentary consultation.